Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back. This is Michael J. Nelson, and with me, as always, is Connor Lestoka. How are you, Connor? I'm excellent, Mike. I've had a, uh exciting week. Playoff baseball's in full swing. I, yes, uh, it is. You you take no interest in that, I assume? Let's go no, with that premise. Yeah. Wait a minute, yeah. what? <laughs> I actually uh, went to the first two Nationals home games, which were incredibly exciting and then the 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 two away games were also nail biters they were uh down to the last pitch they were dramatic home runs they were the type of thing that unites the city and i watched them with my wife and brother and sister and my parents it was really really great moments but you know there was nobody there comparing it to perfect strangers or uh <laughs> or crawl as these dramatic things unfolded and that was a uh, you know it really was there's no way being... yeah there's no way to frame it how do you even figure out how to feel about it yeah. if if there isn't that there uh, I saw a well, lot of people calling them classic moments but uh, to me <laughs> it's impossible to to make that distinction without any disposable pop culture comparisons Wow. Well, I'm sorry you had to endure drama and uh, ups and downs without any way to understand it. Um, <laughs> let's explain who we are. I am Michael J. Nelson. We said our names, but we yeah. are... Uh, Connor and I have worked at uh, Rift Tracks uh, together for many, many years. Long oh, time. Yeah, a long time. And uh, Connor said, hey, you know, we spend a lot of our time looking at at really, really terrible movies. How about... We take a break from that, and we read a book that we know we'll hate. And uh, <laughs> and so that's what this podcast is about. And uh, that book is, uh, go ahead, Connor, explain the book. Uh, the book maybe yeah, uh, explain book. the plot to this point. Sure, you're using words like book and plot, Mike. And if you've been <laughs> listening with us, you know that those are generous terms. But the book is Ready Player One, and the author is Ernest Klein, Ernie Klein to his friends, and uh, the soon to be made into a movie by Steven Spielberg. We're we're tracking that. That's only about five months away at this point in time. But the plot is a boy um, is hunting a big virtual Easter egg in order to win billions of dollars, and uh, he does this by by following clues that an eccentric billionaire has laid out. And those clues have so far mostly involved either memorizing uh, movies to the to the word or. Uh, being really good at video games, so it's it's promised as a holy grail of pop culture, and so far, uh, so far it's 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 been mostly about playing a, a couple video games. Uh, yeah, well, not only that though, I would say that there's a lot of color and world building in that he describes um, uh, several bowling <laughs> alleys and video game parlors where one would play these classic video games. So let's you not can almost sell them hear short. the the cheese baking onto the plan and into the pan and the pizza joints that he discusses in such <laughs> just vivid detail. Yes. Which he describes over and over, but all right. So, uh, when we last left our hero, uh, Wade, Wade Watts, Wade Watts. Yes. Where, where <laughs> was he? So we left, we last left him. He had, uh, discovered, I guess a gate or a key. Uh, he did one more to go, but he was about to be, to be visited by one of the members of the High Five, uh, Shoto, who was one of the Japanese uh, samurai, I guess the press was calling them. And he was, uh, was going to visit with Shoto after there had been some, some potentially bad news, which is that Dato, Shoto's older brother, had gone missing off of the, uh, off of the leaderboard. Yeah, and his avatar was, I guess, we learned that his avatar was no longer there. His avatar had died. 
is yeah, I, I guess avatars can die in the fiction of this world. We're still not clear on what that means, but I guess <laughs> well, yeah, you just so lose your points or something. You lose your points and your objects and go back to level one. That was what they told us. So yeah, he was he he saw his points disappear and figured that must be what happened. So he uh, invited Sh- date Shoto yeah Shoto over to his house and Shoto shows up in black morning robes. His face bore the same inconsolable expression that he recognized from his video chat. Um, so he knows that something is not good, but he greets him uh, with a respectful bow. Yes. And then he then he stretches out his palm, which is a gesture that he recognized from the time we'd spent questing together. Grinning, he reached out and slipped me some skin. <laughs> so so should, <laughs> so within a page of this, we're going to learn that 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 Shoto's brother Dato did not die just as an avatar; he was actually murdered. By the IOI, he was thrown off the forty-third floor of his apartment building, um, and yet, <laughs> as he shows up, he's still he's still grinning as uh, as Wade offers him the the cross-culture uh, high-five gesture. Yes, so his brother has been murdered. Has been and, murdered. And what? And and um, a scant couple sentences before that, before we learn this information. <laughs> We learn that Shoto is also a big Family Ties fan. He is, yes. Because <laughs> when he comes into our hero's uh, safe room, he, it has been built up to look like the room in Family Ties, the yes. classic 80s sitcom. <laughs> and, uh, and he nodded his silent approval. I'm yes. Shown that. <laughs> so I, I thought, one... That is a giant assumption to make that it is a silent approval nod and not like a you dipshit kind of nod. Like <laughs> you really did this. Like, <laughs> yeah, this this might be the unreliable narrator here. This is the uh, he, he's actually the guy's going, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And uh, it, I think he really likes the room is the, yeah. uh, the response. It, it reminded me a lot of when. uh when the Twitter character Dad Boner would was he was a, he was a great unreliable narrator because he would be doing these terrible things and uh, you know he'd be talking to the uh, uh, HR woman from his office and he would be like uh, I saw the head honcho my boss like you know you know I, I knew that he wanted to chime in and pound the beers with me but he you know he played it cool type of thing. Right. Now look, we will go in deeply into the the horrible horrible death of Dato. But before that, <laughs> uh, we have a little department to cover, uh, and that is real or fanfic. And now I bet they bitching cause my flow switching, trying to tell me what to write. I bought some fanfiction, can't they just be happy? I no longer have to face eviction that I'm living on my life, I'm living on my inner vision right now. Yes, indeed, it's time for fanfic or real fic. This is where we challenge one another and the audience to figure out whether we're reading from the Ernest Klein book, from the text, or uh, or whether it's extra textual. That is outside the canon. Um, Connor, head do you canon, have, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you uh, do you have examples for us today? I do. Let's get right to them. The first one starts off like this. Several of my older hacked-together rigs were still resting comfortably. The early days of Oasis rigs were with cabling. Eventually, someone figured out how to have the wireless rigs with minimal delay and the movement registering on the system. For the rig I was digging out, it had been with me during a lot of online battling, from Grand Theft Auto to Half-Life, from Need for Speed to the latest iteration of the Forza franchise. Zombians, aliens, mutants, killer robots, mechs. This rig had controlled most of the games I'd played in the Oasis. The battle rig was a box the size of an old iPad with several buttons on top of it. 
It was designed to sit on my lap while being connected physically via USB 11 cable to my computer. All right. Look, <laughs> uh, we'll wait to the end to, uh, to, to render final judgment, but I think I have made my choice okay. on that one. Let's, uh, how, do you have, believe, how many more examples do you have? I've got one more, but okay. I'd just like All to right. point out that was, that was six sentences and six rigs. All right. That's going to feed into my answer. All right. Uh, <laughs> Here's the next one. Number two. Smooth move, X-Lax, I heard Artemis say. Just let, us, <laughs> just let us know if you need any help, ZH said. Wave your hands or something, and we'll feed you the next line. I nodded and gave a thumbs up, but I didn't think I was going to need much help. Over the past six years, I'd watched Holy Grail exactly 157 times. <laughs> I knew every word by heart. So that's, oh. that's Monty Python and the Holy Grail, obviously. Yeah. Uh, from the... Okay, He's so memorized it if you can believe it. Again, so these uh, these quotes could either both be fake, both be real, or neither. You know, they could whatever combination. Yeah, thereof. no rules. Um, you just have to purely identify. There are no either I'm gonna, or. I'm going to say the first one with the the rigs thing. I I think that uh, like Al Pacino in Godfather Three, I I got out. They kept trying to pull me back in with rig <laughs> mentions. I think the okay. rig mentions have gilded the lily a little too much, and I think that was fanfic. That was fanfic. That was Live to Tell by Codebreaker 2001. Okay. But yeah, they that was from a story where his uh, digital assistant is a tiger named Hobbs which he goes on to explain uh, is based on a comic strip that his father liked <laughs> called Calvin and Hobbes, which well, that is, that is right on. That is not, it was, it was yeah. very on brand. Um, yeah. Man. I think that the, the way that he, like the, the voice in that part um, talking about his father, I thought would give it away, but the rig might've been a little heavy there. Uh, I think the second one is also fanfic. The second one is real. Oh, for God's sake. I don't know. I don't know. He's, he's watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which he mentioned in the list. He had watched all their shows, even the lost episodes or something. He watched it 157 times and he knows every word by heart. Um, which we only have 90 pages left. So that's, that's something to look forward to. I think I was just flipping through, um, looking for my bookmarker and that popped up and I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta jot that one down. Oh, ouch. Oh, because yeah. because you know, stay tuned. We have uh, more examples of this coming up. That's, that <laughs> these things are building up in a way that is it, it, it's unbelievable. <laughs> but all right, audience and Connor, get ready, uh, get your thinking caps on. Here right. are my examples, and I went a little. I have to admit up front, I went a little more subtle this time. Um, oh wow! Uh, I found. I mean, you'll understand. I just found slightly more subtle things where I thought uh, I wanted to challenge you in ways and see if now that we've been this far into the book, can you, you know, okay. really root out the things? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Like the, the deeper cuts. Um, yeah. Right. So they're a little bit deeper cuts and most of them are short. This one's uh, three sentences. Here we go. Cool. Number one. It dumped me abruptly into a smoky underground cavern littered with bones. A split second later, a green-skinned pig man tumbled out of the chute, looking just as startled as I was. I recognized him <laughs> as one of Jabba the Hutt's Gamorrean guards. I had oh. just fallen into the rancor pit from Return of the Jedi. Good Lord. That is number one. Number one. Okay? So you want to <laughs> yep. just put, put a pin in that. I've got it, yeah. Here's number two. Sometime later, she reached over and kissed me. It felt just like all those songs and poems promised it would. It felt oh. wonderful. 
like being struck by lightning. That is number ah. That is number two. See, I told you it was not going to be easy. No, it's not. Number three, she had been dead in her haptic for three days before she was discovered. <laughs> the only reason anyone noticed was because neighbors complained about the smell. <laughs> so those. Oh. So yeah, I I admit it was a little. I, maybe I went too crafty this week. But please, uh, audience, and uh, register your answers. And Connor, then we'll uh, all right. We'll get to you. Number one to remind you was about uh, the pig the man coming Garden. out in the Gamorrean guards and and the rancor pit, the rancor pit from Return of the Jedi. Is that uh, is that real so, or fanfic? So, we, you know, the Star Wars references have tailed off a bit. We had one last week that I forgot to mention, and there was only one this week. So, uh, yeah. but you know, we had so many in the beginning that it does not seem off brand. I'm going to say uh, real. That is false. Damn this, it. This is fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, um, I can pull the references if anyone really cares. But this one was sort of an obscure one that I just, wow. uh, I just did a. A quick scan of um, number two. Uh, I guess I guess Wade might not have said Pigman. I think he might have actually known it was the Gamorrean guard from the very beginning. So maybe that's maybe that was the tell. Yeah, I I just wonder whether the uh, yeah you're right. But um, number two is a little more obscure. It's just sort of some clumsy prose. Yes, it felt like all the poems and all songs, the songs and poems promised it would. It felt wonderful, like being struck by lightning. I'm going to say because it goes so vague and unspecific with those songs and poems that it is not the author. He would have put in a specific reference to something terrible. I believe that's fanfic. Oh, oh my friend. That is one of the last lines of the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no. decimated in this quiz. Woo. It felt like lightning. It didn't feel like, uh, you know, don't you forget about me was playing in his head. I like, know, I come know. Come on, you hack. You can't abandon that at the last minute. <laughs> he couldn't even it's come got... up with a reference to it. I know. It's, I, it's astonishing. I, th- I think there's like another they... paragraph, but that is pretty oh. much the last it just sort of tails off, really. Yeah. My boner thrust into the air like uh, <laughs> Judd, Judd Nelson's fist at the end of the breakfast club. There we go. God. I'm All sick right. I know. It is. It is frustrating. Um, number three, she'd been dead in her haptic for three days before she was discovered. The only reason anyone noticed was because neighbors complained about the smell. Real thick uh, or fanfic? Yeah. It seems it could go either way, um, but I'm going to say use of haptic instead of rig points off, and the fact that one. So right now you've told me that he's kissing someone by the end of the book. Uh, we only have one female character in this book, uh, so I'm going to guess that this is fanfic. All right, you, thirty-three percent correct. All right, quiz. Wow. Yeah, you you got that one. Um, wow. Right. That one is a prominent one when you search online. Uh, it okay. is, it is, it's something like Lasorian, I assume another reference that I didn't know. It's it's titled, but it, it's he's rewriting chapter one. I think uh, huh. I think was the premise. So I, I had to be a little more vague, but uh, well well done at least on that one. So uh, thank you. That's disappointing. <laughs> yes. So anyway, that was real thick or fanfic. So let's get back to Wade uh, and Shoto. Uh, and and the death of Data. Yeah, 
Yeah, so so Soto walks in, he, he nods respectfully at the at the family ties set, and you'd think that, you know, the death of his his brother slash his only friend might be you know, it might be cause for him to to renounce all this trivial nonsense like family ties. But no, he's nodding, nodding in silent approval. But uh, the first thing that that Wade notes is, I guess he calls up. Uh, Shoto wants him to know his true name. Yeah. And so he show he shows him his real picture. And and Wade is taken aback by this shocking development that uh, yeah. he doesn't look anything like his Oasis avatar. He has long, <laughs> unkept hair and bad skin. I know. I thought that was a weirdly cruel thing. First of all, idiot. We have told you this from the beginning. You've known this. You do it yourself. You do it yourself. You yes. know that since the beginning of Avatars, everyone has practiced <laughs> this, and yet it becomes a shock to you when you learn that this is true. And and oh. not only that. So he gives this uh, this poor guy who uh, you know is is framed for suicide is summarily <laughs> tossed out of a window at twenty two years old. <laughs> he he gives him also the indignity of going. Oh, also, I was surprised that that wasn't his name. Like <laughs> you described in great detail how they were named after their swords when they first came in the first time. What are you oh, talking wow. about? <laughs> oh man, yeah. So he's he's not a smart guy, and uh, he 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 asks him. He's like, wait. So he didn't he didn't commit suicide? And then he goes, No, Dato did not commit seppuku. Which a lot of people wrote in about this, and I was confused too. I didn't know about it, but yeah, seppuku is a specific form of of uh, killing yourself, which is mm-hmm. it, it literally it translates to cutting the abdomen or belly. So yeah. it's which like yeah, we know he didn't commit seppuku. He, he they made it look like he threw himself off a building. Uh, so I don't know if that's just a weird. Uh, he didn't bother to fact check that or what was going on, but that stood out to a lot of people, um, me included. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, unless there is a rash of uh, twenty-two two-year-olds with bad skin, you know, committing seppuku, and <laughs> I, I, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> the ah, uh, the acne on his belly where he had sliced from from navel to sternum was gross and hairy. Yeah, but he he also got into that. It's that confusion about uh, the avatar versus in real life, which he he just cannot make sense of in a clear way, <laughs> and so. <laughs> So he he was thinking that he might have killed himself because his avatar wasn't there some mention of that like because his avatar had died he just like gave up or committed suicide or gave up on life or something like that. Yeah, I guess you know he he or he might just be thinking this guy's coming here because uh, Dato died and he just might be you know he's assuming that means his avatar he can't fathom that the people who tried to murder him uh, six months ago might have you know. And that he gathered these people to warn them might try to murder them, have have come and murdered somebody else. But you know what? The good thing was that after this uh, horrific description of his death, because it's sort of, it's doubled up because you get the description of his avatar's death where he turns into a robot or whatever. I don't know what the <laughs> yeah. hell. That was just like, oh, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Well, yeah, they they spend a lot of time. He makes them rewatch this thing. Of... Yeah, he puts opens it up on a window, and then he lowers his head. So his <laughs> avatar lowers his head so as not to see the window in his own. I I didn't know how, what are the physics of that. <laughs> right? I yeah, don't exactly. Understand. Can he still hear it playing through his thing? But yeah, it's like he he shows him this video of his avatar dying, and it's supposed to be infused with drama, which is completely he, the person was literally thrown out a window. It's like you know. Me coming to your funeral and being like, yeah, I, uh, uh, 
he it's a shame that he died, but um, I, I want to show you this email from his web hosting company. They're going to be taking down his blog since he hasn't been able to pay the bills and, and treating like that, like that, like the dramatic That's moment the that actual, we need to be right. mournful about. But uh, in the in the end of the chapter, I thought it was a very touching moment where uh, Tina Yothers walked in and made sort of a <laughs> pulled a face to the audience, and then the '80s saxophone played. Well, it fr- uh, freeze framed over that. So she that was, was semi transparent because kind of... it was a chat link right. and not a chat room, and exactly. then they sort of all looked at the camera and froze. And <laughs> family ties, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he so he clarifies another thing. He says um, we were we were not brothers, not in real life, just the Oasis. Do you understand? Because that's not a very that's a very difficult concept to wrap your head around. Is <laughs> is that? And if it, it in fact it was so difficult that uh, mere paragraphs later, <laughs> this oh, is a, a reader yep, wrote in yeah. to point this out. Kevin L wrote in. He, he then paragraphs later he says Shoto and Dato had grown so close that they were now like brothers. So when they created their new Gunter identities, they decided that in the Oasis, they were brothers from that moment on. So it's really, it's just a mother patented Kleinian. That is uh, so Kleinian. I, I lay think it I out. Have, tell yep. him, tell him what you told him. I think not to get ahead of myself. I believe that's either uh, a dumb sentence of the week. Not that one, but uh, a similar one, or it's <laughs> a runner up. So we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, so he leaves after that respectful meeting <laughs> in the rumpus room of family ties. And then uh, and then we're into Blade Runner world. Yep. That was exciting. Um, and that that kicks off what I thought was was a very bizarre way to start start a chapter, I think. Uh, but he says he's he's unable to to be using his like mouse or his hands haptically because he's he's sitting there eating corn chips I have the sentence right here, my friend. <laughs> it is a uh, a runner-up for the DSOTW. Okay. I was eating some corn chips at the time, so I was using voice commands to operate the image analysis software, <laughs> which reminded him of Blade Runner then. Yes. I don't recall the character <laughs> mowing down a bag of corn chips, but uh, I don't know. I did not. See, I haven't seen it in many years. And maybe that's in the director's cut, which I didn't sure, see. Sure. Right. So, yeah, but it's the second specific reference to corn chips as a snack. And um, I guess that's just avoiding using the brand name of Fritos or maybe they're the Trader Joe's uh, brand, which are very they, they they hold up compared to the name brand. I'm, I'm, I'd put my rep on the line for the TJ's brand. I'm guessing, though, that what he's really hiding is that he's eating a Frito pie with his hands, and he just doesn't <laughs> want to get into the specifics of that. He's just covered with gravy and chili and cheese yes. and onions. He's going walking taco on his crazy uh, uh, <laughs> round treadmill so he can <laughs> not be fraudulent about the walking part. But, yeah, so Blade Runner, That's uh, have you seen it? The the new one. Oh, I, no, either one. I mean, I oh, I, I saw the old one. Just one. Came out. I remember I went, I think someone coerced me into watching years ago, the uh, re-release that went to kind of the big theaters, the, uh, you know, big screen theaters. Uh, okay. And I saw the director's cut and I, uh, I slept well. I slept very well. <laughs> yeah. I watched it in college. We did a, we did a cold study where they would give you a cold and then lock you in a hotel room for three nights and so just oh, like, I remember that story. It, it was it was great. It was really good. They, they paid you like 900 bucks, which at the time was like, I mean, a godly sum. And you just sort of got the hole up there and like watch, you know, people let me all their DVDs and 
um, checked it out. So that was one I watched during that moment, and that was the only time I saw it. And I remember thinking, like, this is the one people make a big deal about. And it was not, however, it was a DVD that it was not the director's cut, which oh. I guess I might as well be, you know, Go looking at this. Go yeah. to hell. Yeah. I might as well be looking at the Sistine Chapel with like horse blinders on. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty much apt comparison. But I think that was an early that was an early sort of nerd thing where it's like, oh, well, it wasn't the director's cut. So it's a uh, and then I think they released the director's cut and probably 18 other cuts. And so it's it's now not as inaccessible to people. So it probably has um, lost its appeal. Oh, uh, please. I mean, you just didn't get the right director's cut. <laughs> Uh, but the astonishing thing about the way that he goes into it is he talks about, so he's he's preaching to a bunch of people here with this pop culture tribute, as we learn that it is, uh, who could not have missed a Blade Runner reference if you, you know, had, uh, you know, you could put tape over their mouth and tie them up and hog tie that they'd still know the Blade Runner reference and be able to quote everything about it. So he references the Blade Runner thing and then following Doing that as a plot point, there are like three pages of descriptions of Blade Runner. <laughs> like, what do you, what, what is this backfilling this thing? Like, yes, yes, obviously. So I just wonder, is that, does that make everyone happy to have the, the thing that they know inside and out just re-described to them in different ways? I, I, don't, I, I don't get that as a technique. Right, because it's not, it wasn't a clue that any person could read and think that they were going to be talking about Blade Runner. You know, even that last one was like, maybe you would have, you know, sussed out that that was about that Captain Crunch hacking whistle. Maybe. But this one is just prove your best by taking the test or something. So there's no there's no way that you would ever be like, oh, well, he's talking about this this Android test in Blade Runner. It only comes up because he's using a voice controlled scanner to analyze a photograph. And he essentially says, Using a voice-controlled scanner to analyze a photograph reminds me of a scene in Blade Runner where they use a voice-controlled scanner to analyze a photograph. That, I think <laughs> you just quoted that sentence actually literally, too. I'm not kidding. That was another one that stood out to me. It was like, Rick. God in heaven. But then, then a few paragraphs later, he says, that made me think of origami, which reminded me of another moment from Blade Runner. So I it's know. Just, yes. It's, <laughs> that was crazy. And then so you got those moments. So that should be setting the fans of Blade Runner's pulse running, right? But no, then he just stops and describes what Blade Runner is. Yeah, and I guess that's for the that's what that's what looped in the millions, you know, the non-nerds who read the book and made it a hit. But yeah, when you said does it make them happy, I you know I was thinking later on they put him in uh, prison cell forty two G again, so it's like the third forty two Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference, and it's two hundred and twenty pages into the book, and yeah, I just wondered. Are you are you still supposed to to get a, a little thrill out of that because he's quoting something popular that you know? It was very very weird. Yeah. <laughs> it, whatever limited appeal it had, which we've I think we've established for us has been very limited, uh, <laughs> has to have been expended by this point in time. It's like a Austin Powers yeah baby in the uh, in the third movie. It's just like there we go, tick the box. Right, and so then he he gets the clue from the rapper and the thing, and it's the it's the Blade Runner thing. So he goes to a building from Blade Runner, which um, Halliday has built into. Well, actually, other programmers. Yeah, it's, it's a drag a drag and drop building that you can put into any world, <laughs> so it exists everywhere, right? And then he yeah, it's like solitaire on Windows. It comes with every system. Yeah, and he re-explains that how that works, how you can just drag and drop a thing, and so hundreds of them are all over the planet. But he goes to one to find the clue. 
right? Yeah. But, but I think you'll you'll be you'll be interested to know that uh, as he's as he's approaching this planet, um, he lets us know that he's seen Blade Runner over four dozen times yes. and has memorized every frame of the film and every line of dialogue. <laughs> so that that puts it into some lofty company, which uh, uh, Monty Python, as we've established, War Games, pretty much everything he's seen, he has memorized and seen at least 50 times. Yeah, and there was a, uh, even before that, there was a throwaway about some anime that he had seen every single episode. <laughs> and we're not even to the Rush stuff yet, so we'll, we'll get there. But yeah, sure. it, it's stacking up where, again, time is warped in some way that we cannot, it cannot be reconciled. It's impossible. Right. So despite having seen it four dozen times and memorized every line, he calls up the film to just review it just in case. But then he gets to... Uh, he gets to the uh, building. I don't remember what it's called, but he there's going to be guards there and stuff because it's accurate um, right. in terms of the movie. But uh, fortunately, the guards bullets ping harmlessly off his armor and he never runs out of ammo because uh, every time that he does run out of ammo, new build bullets are just teleported into his gun. And he notes that his bullet bill this month is going to be huge. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a concern when uh when your when your buddy has just been thrown off of a roof you're going to be nervous about your bullet bill being high right for the bullet bill for your avatar within yes, yes. yeah but it's just the so so there's hundreds and thousands of these buildings everywhere so he knows he's not going to encounter the bad guys the 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 villains bullets ping harmlessly off him and he has infinite bullets so we've really set the stakes high here for a really dramatic moment where he's invulnerable and will never run out of ammo, and the bad guys aren't going to show up. It's really just it's it's quality stuff. Uh, well, I was on the edge of my seat. As once again, his his ability to drain the bloodless life <laughs> out of any tiny bit of drama that he may have had, he makes sure to do up front. Which I love that he also said that uh, as he mentions parenthetically, like so I pulled the. The Vonnegut, what is it? The Vonnegut, is that a ship? Sure, yes, that's, yeah. He pulls that up, fr up front and then is like, yeah, but you know, magic's not allowed here. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. So he can't shrink it into a uh, a little tiny car, though that doesn't matter because he has all these other things on it. So it's just like, right. what are you picturing in your head? I'm going to shrink it, aren't I? Ah, I can't. <laughs> like, right. I don't get what, the, what is the thrill of that? Dude? Right, he mentioned that he could shrink it earlier to diffuse the tension of that scene. So there is, if he hadn't mentioned that at all, we would not have expected him to be able to do that. It was very, yeah, very curious, especially since he stays on that planet for all of three pages and, and moves on. But there is, there is some stakes there, Mike. There is, a, there is a threat looming when he leaves the car parked. Oh, oh, yes, indeed. Well, so what is, I, I don't have, I actually, it's not in my notes. What is the thing that he gets out of it? Uh, what, what does he get when he goes to, to the, into the building? He, uh, he, the, the test that he's passing? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just a, it was the test that the, they, it was two person's names that's in Blade Runner. He, that is going to determine if you're a, a replicant or not. Right. Okay. So he then he knows that once he does this and his score jumps up, then the uh, IOI, the Sixers are after right. him. Right. Right. Which gets me to uh, my one of my favorite sentences of the <laughs> uh, of the whole uh, experience. Please. He, sa he says, quote, the next 10 minutes played out like the climax of a John Woo movie. And so I, <laughs> I stopped reading there and I was like, OK. I got sure. it. I got it. I know John Woo. I'm going to imagine that. Uh, Connor, why don't you pick one? Do you have a John Woo movie that you want to yeah, imagine? Um, yeah. So it played out like the climax of Face Off. 
face off. So you've okay. got uh, Collex and Caster and Pollux Troy and right, there's, right. Uh, there's, there's shooting each other with lots of slow motion yeah, trench okay. coats. And there's so you, you picture that for the next flying. 10 minutes. I'm going to yeah. go with Mission Impossible <laughs> 2. I'm going to picture that for the next okay. 10 minutes. So oh, someone's bull, probably bullets flying. Off face, yeah, you know, faces face are mask. being pulled off. Sorry, I'm I'm thinking about face off. Yeah, you no, you so. carry on with yours. I'll carry on with mine. And mm-hmm. uh, okay, and then we'll mm-hmm. do this for ten minutes. So if okay. you guys could just hang on out there, and uh, and we'll pause it here. And okay, we're back. Uh, okay. <laughs> we fast forwarded there. We imagined it for ten minutes, and all right, done. That's that was a really exciting yeah, scene. I enjoyed no, no, that. that was, it was that was a it was a iconic movie from my high school. So it was fun to sort of revisit those ten minutes of face off. Same here. Um, I mean, Mission mentally. Impossible Two, obviously ridiculous and silly, sure. but sometimes it makes you laugh yeah. out loud just by the sheer the audacity is, of the is images. What he is. Yeah. yeah, it's bold. All right, so let's read on then. Um, uh, okay, so next time it's played out like climax of a John Woo movie. Okay, we did that. One of the ones starring Chow Yun Fat, like Hard Boiled or The Killer. Son Come of a on bitch! Now. What the, What are you doing to us? Yeah. What? You pictured that movie for? Mm. Oh, oh, that was ah, that's we, frustrating. We should not be taking it one sentence at a time. No, a we should really not stop in the middle and listen to it. <laughs> Sometimes he oh. sneaks up behind you and gives you those extra instructions. Ah, uh. I should read to the end of a paragraph. <laughs> well, I, you know, well, well, whatever. Picturing face off was not is not time time missed. Oh, it was that, pleasant, yeah. pleasant all that, around. Yeah. So that is just sort of another like the Blade Runner director's cut, like. Uh, no, 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 not not the Hollywood ones, folks. Right. The ones that you had to get at the weird uh, VHS store. Blockbuster probably didn't have them. Right. Um, God. <laughs> uh, I will sure. ask this question, too. Was this the first instance of him? Because he uh, talks about the Anorak, Anorak Almanac. Is that yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, where they used, he used biblical headings on it. AA23 colon uh-huh. 234. I noticed that just used in the middle, like where he'd never... I mean, he's obviously made semi-explicit references to it being his Bible and everything, but I just thought that was rather audacious of him to suddenly <laughs> yeah, include okay. that. As, oh, okay. All right. So right. if you want Which to look later, it up yourself. He later quotes passages from there that are like, going outside is highly overrated. That's the, the chapter. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, that's the chapter heading. That's right. Yeah. That's, I, I wonder if that's like something that he set up in order to like hopefully later publish that actual um, oh, oh, you almanac that. as like, uh, you know, the, the Harry Potter, like fantastic beasts or, you know, publishing those, those books mentioned within the book type of thing. Uh, 100%. <laughs> you know, that's gross. true. Yeah. All anyway, right. Uh, so yeah, he, 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 he approaches the test, um, which isn't really a test. Uh, it extends a thin robotic arm uh, on a circular device that looked like a retinal scanner. And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't look like a retinal scanner. It is a retinal scanner. Um, <laughs> so it so it scans his retina, and then he I guess he he passes or it, it opens up or he inserts the key, and that takes him into another another uh, void game within a game. And this game is now this is one I was not familiar with at all. No, I nope, never heard of it. I watched some footage on YouTube. It looked like. You know, a game I probably would have enjoyed because it had the, sort of those arcade graphics. Like for a while, the arcade games were like the gold standard, and this was in the mid '80s. So, like comparing that to like Nintendo graphics, it was you know it looked like a Super Nintendo game, but at the time, it was like wow, that's. But you know, it looked like a fairly standard like sort of Contra with a with a wizards and warrior kind of character at the at the center of it. And this was the I think sort of I felt a little. 
I don't know what to, I don't know how to say this without insulting the guy too much. <laughs> it made me sad that he thought that upping the thing. Th- this is a game called Black Dragon, right? Yes. Um, and Black Dragon is is just a you know he he mentions it later. It's just a you know screen game. You obviously are walking through a screen and a scrolling game and. Um, he had played those before in this world. So I think he was trying to up the tension by saying that only this time I wasn't just playing the game. I was inside the game. <laughs> we have literally spent the entire book inside a game. So this yes, is not yes. a new revelation. It's right. like it was all around me. You, you mean like every single second of this book the way has you been spend your waking yeah. life, right? Yes, but yeah, I swear it, he thought that that was like upping it in a way that would be like, huh? Ta da! Right. When I played Pac Man as a game within a game, and when I played Anna, uh, Daggerath Dungeon for game within a game, oh, it's not like those games within a game. It is, you know, slightly different. It's it's as as though I was in the game, which I am all the time. Anyway, <laughs> the point is he. But, does he beat the I, game? I, I well, I, I liked uh, he as he approached it. He says, uh, you know, he he had he had identified this as a uh, as a reference that he was he was expecting. So he says, uh, I was all prepared to pat myself on the back. It's like you were prepared to do that because we have read two hundred and thirty pages of nothing but you patting yourself on the back for learning and memorizing <laughs> garbage. <laughs> it's just like. Right. He says, I've been sure of its meaning from the start. All right. you. Uh, it's just awful to imagine the, the smugness of that character being like, yep, no, a life wasted. And I am proud. I'm proud of that fact. And he once again did the thing that cracks me up is that he gets the clue. And some of the clues he will talk about, like the quatrains and everything, he'll stare at for hours, days, literally 24 hours. He'll repeat the phrase in his head. You know all of his quirks. We don't yes. need to tell you about that by now. But then, eats corn chips. but then the other one, <laughs> eating corn chips. But then at other times, he just, he read it and he's like, I knew immediately what it meant. And so <laughs> yes. there's no, he does that like three times too. So there's only, it's really, which one is it? You're staring at it for 24 hours. You have no idea. And then you're learning and watching every single anime game that ever, or anime <laughs> that ever existed. Right, for research. Yeah. Ah. Oh. That, that the, yeah. his ability to diffuse drama is unmatched, unmatched. <laughs> well, he describes uh, the, the protagonist of Black Tiger, because that's the American translation, which seems very stupid because there is no Black Tiger. It's just a there was a black dragon who's the boss. And then you, they call the hero Black Tiger in the American one. But they describe him as a muscular, half naked barbarian warrior dressed in a armored thong and horned helmet. And I just... My thoughts immediately went to whether that armored thong had several discrete openings in it, because uh, that was something that it was not specified. But it was—I I mean, thought it was kind of important. Um, you know, while we're while we're getting into the inner workings of these games, yes, I mean, how discreet can they be in a heavily armored thong? <laughs> I, I guess that's well, the problem. Yeah, it is 16-bit, so maybe that you know just a pixel or two would be what indicated those openings. <laughs> but yeah, so he—he—he, he, he, despite it being a, a 3D immersive game, he plays through it. Um, with minimal difficulty, like, you know, he, he describes that he wins and then says like the only time that I, you know, died, which is again, diffused before he even describes that he encountered trouble by saying I won, it wasn't an issue. Um, and then when he wins, he wins a, a robot. Um, it's going to pop up and let him pick from his choices of robots. And he says, uh, it says it appears I was going to be offered a real working recreation of whatever robot I selected and real's an interesting choice there. 
because he is being awarded a token, you know, robot right. avatar in a game within a game. Yeah, and he talks about sort of cycling through all of them, like he knew that this was an important thing. Mm-hmm. And so he really checks out the, you know, whether these are a, a hell of a rig or not, I guess. Right. But then, so yeah, there's there's ones that offer all sorts of advantages. But then he discovers Leopardon from Supidaman, uh, and says, "I'd be somewhat, I'd become somewhat obsessed with the show. So I didn't care if he was the most powerful robot available. I had to have him regardless." And so he's he has been he's been he's watched the guy fight uh, to his death as a robot. He's seen the guy murdered, and there are literally billions of dollars on stake as he nears the finish line. And yet he's making his choices not based on what offers him, you know, the most power or the most advantages. He just kind of liked the show uh so he needs to have that particular robot wait a minute does does he kind of like shows i haven't <laughs> i have not been able to figure that out yet if maybe become, he can include some more descriptions of that he was somewhat obsessed so he didn't uh, recreate <laughs> the living room from supida man he just <laughs> he just considered you know getting a tattoo or maybe hanging up a picture of the living room in his virtual den uh so he grabs that and then it turns into the next car. Are we getting into it? Let's get into Rush. Come on. Yep. It, it, after he respectfully reads all the programmer's names, it flashes a symbol on the screen that he immediately recognizes. And um, yeah, let's talk Rush. It's the symbol from Rush's uh, classic sci-fi themed concept album, 2112, which, um, yeah, let's talk Rush, Mike, uh, because we have, we know we have some thoughts about Rush. I know you do, at least. I do. Can I... Let's take a personal moment here and talk about my rush. Um, these are uh, two absolutely, absolutely true stories about rush is that uh, when I was 16 years old, um, a friend of mine who was a, a rough fella, I was a pretty good, I was a pretty good kid, a pretty rough dude who, uh, you know, he smoked and uh, he drove a car that, you know, was, he was a dangerous dude. He wanted to... Uh, get with some girl and so he asked me to go to a rush concert <laughs> and now i i had been to maybe two concerts before i think one was at a state fair and i think it was the osmonds when i was like seven <laughs> wow so um so he he you know made me pay for my own ticket and he took another another girl so i was the the i was the third wing, wheel i was the wing yeah. man no there okay. was there was another girl so the girl okay all right so and that girl and i you know were incredibly uncomfortable at a rush concert <laughs> uh and moving pictures tour you know this was the this was the height of their the height of their power it was like a stadium show oh a huge stadium show and so it was it was the whole experience was quite shocking as the uh, for the first time in my life just doobage after doobage being passed to me and i'm i was i think i was 15 he was 16 so i oh, was wow. It was a, it was quite shocking. And then uh, people started lighting off bottle rockets. Wow! In the uh, enclosed stadium, and so there was a bunch of you know security concerns, and um, you know fi- little fires were being started and stuff like that. Jeez! And all the time, the band Rush, who I was <laughs> I was not a fan of, was was uh, shrieking on stage and <laughs> admonishing like a pretty the good audience time until that moment. Yeah. So, so that's my first exposure to Rush. What are your thoughts on Rush? So I think I was a little past the, the time when Rush would have been um, would have been something I would have listened to. I never had like an older brother who was like, "Oh, you got to listen to Rush. That's the real deal." Like no one's no one's ever sat me down and said that. So uh, I think the time for me to appreciate it has moved on. They played Tom Sawyer. 
They played uh, Spirit on the radio on, uh, you know, on the classic rock station that I listened to growing up. And one time I went to a uh, Hold Steady concert and their drummer, um, Bobby Drake, was wearing a Rush T-shirt. I assume that Rush is like, you know, if you're a drummer, they're a drummer's band because um, of Neil Peart. But uh, there better be, yeah, to... he better be doing something with that gigantic rig that he's buried <laughs> behind. Yes, no kidding. He does have the hell of a rig of drummers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we put on... Um, uh, 2112 and listened to it the other night. Um, and <laughs> yes. it was like a five minute intro instrumental. And then Getty Lee, he does, he starts shrieking and, you know, it, the vocals aren't for me. Like, I think that, you know, maybe, maybe if you listen to it growing up, like, you know, this, it's got solos and stuff. I mean, it's sort of arena rock. It's, but it's not, I don't think it's my cup of tea. Yeah. Well, whether it's your cup of tea or not, <laughs> you're going to get a lot of it in this book. I mean, but, I wanted to talk about the one thing uh, that was a little running joke for a while, where you're not a fan of Rush. Oh, yeah. but <laughs> this is. But this you, is at, some, at some point in time, you had you had like watched several Rush documentaries in the span <laughs> of like a month or something, and, and we're like, no, they were actually really good. Like there was a. Yeah, know, it, this is uh, not something you you often hear, but I accidentally watched a Rush documentary. <laughs> you know, you're sitting do I I do a lot of things at the same time. I often have uh, podcasts, TV shows, and music running while I'm <laughs> writing. I'm I'm a weird person that way, and I probably, that was just on. And uh, I saw the a documentary about them, and I was like, you know what? They seem like good chaps. The music's, <laughs> music's not for me, but I'm, I'm happy to see them stay together for so long and uh, wow. you know, keep their fan base. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I, 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 th- I thought that was a good documentary, and I told <laughs> I told Sean Thomason, one of our other producer writers, and uh, Connor, and, uh, and they're like, "Wait a minute! So you like Rush?" <laughs> like, no, no, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> not a fan of the band. I really like Rush documentaries. <laughs> and then, and then, as fate would have it, there was another Rush another documentary. One came out. It was yes. just a shorter one, and I saw it. I was like, "Yeah, they do. They're good guys. They seem like nice guys." <laughs> so right. the, uh, so it has uh, become legend. I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of Rush documentaries while not being a fan of their music. so uh. There was a DC sports broadcaster named Ken Beatrice who would do his show Sports Call, and he would do he would read ads for Arby's, and he would always say, like, you know, Arby's has uh, curly fries. I don't eat curly fries, but I to- I'm told they're very good. Which is <laughs> That's the way the to sell it. Fast food equivalent yeah. of liking Rush documentaries but not Rush. Well, I thought just, uh, just to not, you know, we'll get back to the book, but I thought it would be fun since you've, you know, you listened to a little Rush, you've been to a concert, to do a version of fanfic or real uh, with some Rush lyrics. Oh my God. This is a, ladies and gentlemen, this is a shock and a surprise to me. <laughs> so this is in no way prearranged. I'm happy to do that. Let's do it. All right. So I've got three options for you. You have to tell if they are uh, actual Rush lyrics or something I made up. Okay. <laughs> uh, here's the first one. Net boy, net girl, send your impulse round the world. Put your message in a modem and throw it in the cyber sea. Well, can, since we haven't taken the the temperature of Rush can, yet, I'm, yeah, I'm think going about to, it. I'm going to have to say that that is true. That is a Rush lyric. It is a Rush lyric uh, wow. from their song "Virtual Re- Virtuality." Uh, it was on a '90s album, "Test for Echo." Wow! Uh, put put your message in a modem and throw it in the cyber sea. Wow! Uh, so I think you could probably understand wow. uh, if Why that was Cl- the sort of thing that Ernest Klein was listening to in the <laughs> yes. '90s, yes, where this indeed. all came from. Uh, here's number two. I looked in the mirror today. My eyes just didn't seem so bright. I've lost a few more hairs. I think I'm going bald. <laughs> well, 
a little uh, bit of a different uh, theme. Oh boy, I'm I'm going to say that's Rush again. That is Rush from their song. <laughs> I think I'm going bald. I don't know what the what album that was on, but that's that's very real. Um, you're not, you're th- not accidentally listening to Rush Limbaugh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> that's Getty Lee's diary uh, as an arena rock song. Uh, here's the last one. In a dog's life, a year is really more like seven, and all too soon a canine will be chasing cars in doggy heaven. Well, I'm Connor, I don't mean to insult you, but I'm assuming that's yours. You are not an well, arena rock. <laughs> that is Dog Years by Rush. Oh, dear um, God. From, so that's how that song starts. That that was the hardest one to pick one from because that song's lyrics are quite bad. Um, and yeah, so that was cruising a Reddit thread for most embarrassing Rush lyrics. And those are the top three wow. things that they, they did. So, yeah. Um, not not the sort of thing that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna pull me into the Rush universe. Well, uh, if you go to the movie, that's what I don't. D- does Rush link up with his fans? In a I don't know. I think this will be a lot of people's first introduction to Rush because it I, it plays prominently in the movie, at least in the trailer, and I assume it carries through because right. it's a yeah. major plot point. Well, <laughs> you want you know plot point with quotes yes, around it. Sure, exactly. Um, yeah, so it's Rush, uh, the band that uh, James Halliday has called the Holy Trinity, um, not to be confused with the substantial list of trilogies that he refers to as Holy Trilogies. Um, he does not have a very creative mind when it comes to describing groups of three. <laughs> no. uh, so Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, and uh, Neil Peart are the Holy Trinity of rock, um, which has got to come as a big slap in the face to Hanson, I would say. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> He's throwing uh, future shade on them. And yeah, so they they sound like, you know, this 2112 is essentially, you know, cyber D&D, uh, Planet Syrinx, a domed city of Megadon, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I uh, I remember being in the backseat of a car, you know, when you're young and you're sort of imprisoned by your friends as they drive around and try to find something to do. <laughs> of someone plugging in 2112 and then being told to be quiet while the intro stuff played. <laughs> oh, God. Please, please, I only get out of my house for a few scant hours every week. Can can they not be spent waiting for the singing to come in, whatever's going to happen here? So that was my experience with fish in college, so I, I, relate, <laughs> I relate fully. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so I, the, the, he starts talking about one of the songs and he, he describes it, I thought was in a very ironic way of the song tells the story of an anonymous rebel living in the year 2112, a time when creativity and self-expression have been outlawed. Um, which is just a nice, nice little ironic thing, which, you know, he's, he's praising rush for, you know, singing about, um, uh, rebelling against that time as he goes on to list just, you know, things people have heard of in his book. And right. his self-expression. Exactly. Right. <laughs> It would be awful to live in that time where all people can do is just make references to disposable garbage. Wow, that would be terrible. Yeah, instead of coming up with their own fresh takes. Oh, well. And then he goes on to, unironically, uh, I think on the next page, say, the city of Megadon reminded me of an old 1950s sci-fi paperback cover painting depicting the crumbling ruins of a once great technologically advanced civilization. Um, So I think, yeah, in between his uh, silent movies and uh, 1940s films, he somehow felt the... the, uh, found the time to read a bunch of 1950s sci-fi paperbacks um, in between all the gunting research. Right, yeah. Uh, in the, uh, if I could just point out also, in the Rush uh, adventure, whatever it is, because it involves, you know, finding the guitar behind the the waterfall and all of that, which uh-huh. which is, you know, mirrors the song. Sure. Um, 
uh, we learn that his haptic suit uh, is <laughs> not really a hell of a rig, is it? No, it's really, it's it's not living up to its performance, I guess. Hmm. So it can simulate falling and, you know, lack of gravity and all of that. But as he tries to crawl through a waterfall, he suddenly <laughs> complains, it's more like being hit on the back with a bunch of sticks. Yes. So I think his uh, claims of having one hell of a rig are suddenly <laughs> what happened? Did it break yeah, down? Does it need uh, does it need a little tune up? What what do we do with this rig? It's uh, yeah, a great investment. I think the thousands of dollars that, that obviously cost it performs about as well as one of those um, Sega Genesis. You know, the Power Glove uh, would have performed in the '90s. They just never live, or you know, even Wii Tennis. It's like, well, yeah, this is not actually living up to what it's supposed to do. And I wondered how it smelled if. Uh, <laughs> if that was the uh, the performance of the haptic suit, how how badly that waterfall was smelling, you know, it's like, wait, the, the waterfall is smelling like, uh, you know, curry. This isn't, this is <laughs> right. malfunctioning too. Dear God. My stink tower. I'm <laughs> returning it to Best Buy. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so he 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 finds the, uh, the guitar behind the waterfall and he says that um, he couldn't play a real guitar, but on a virtual axe I could shred, which came as news to me. Um, I guess it's sort of just another he mastered guitar hero along along the lines, which I guess we just have to accept at any given point that whatever he brings up, he's going to be either mastered or memorized because why not? I mean, yeah, I, I'm waiting for that moment where it's just, you know, there'll be something from the classic 80s. And it just like <laughs> I would love it if it was a throwaway where he just went. I I didn't see that. I, not familiar. Yeah, yeah. Called my friend. What is that? <laughs> yes. I, I had heard of it. Uh, I wanted to see it, to... like, you know, the insecure people. Have you seen right. that uh, new movie that everyone really... No, I want to. Like, yeah, they... <laughs> thank you right. for telling me that. Um, but yeah, he uh, he finds the waterfall. Uh, he, 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 he solos out to the Rush solo. Um, and then, uh, oh, yeah, I thought that this was this was pretty good. He, he reads the liner notes for the song Discovery, uh, which you know, they describe a hero finding a guitar in a room behind a waterfall. And then on the next page, he describes to play the song Discovery, which describes the hero's discovery of the guitar in a room hidden behind a waterfall. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, just lay it out for us, buddy. It's Also, it, he goes be... to great lengths to describe how he had everything that Rush ever did. Obviously, he, he doesn't explicitly say, I tried to catch him on it. He doesn't say that he listened to everything. He had it all. Right. So it was kind of like it was on his iPod or whatever. Maybe he didn't get around to doing it. But he had concert footage, bootlegs, every album, every book. And then he had all side projects and all unauthorized biographies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Seems like an odd. <laughs> wow. Do, do, are they there for reference? Are you reading them? Like, you know, look, if the you don't have to go with every side project. Every ha side project. Halliday may not have gone down those roads. Did Halliday explicitly say he was <sighs> into the side projects? <laughs> Love love Rush documentaries. Don't like Rush. Eh, the side projects side some project. fell they fall somewhere in between. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, so he 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 finds this secret guitar and he plays the thing, which gives him a clue that you cannot do this alone. And he suspects that the IOI has not found this key bit of information because they would not have been uh, good enough gunters to play the guitar solo. Um, so he he decides he's going to uh, he has a plan. He formulates a plan and he says, like any classic video game, the hunt had simply reached. A new, more difficult level. Mm -hmm. That's where 
the book ends uh, well, you know the book ends the that section of the pot of the uh, of the book ends and that's where it has that quote about going outside is highly overrated right and then um in the next chapter he just gets captured yeah right he, that's the whole he, he becomes yeah, they, an indentured servant to <laughs> ioi just yeah let me, let me go back that that going outside is ho- highly overrated that sort yeah. of trite nonsense that's the second most liked quote from this book on goodreads oh, um God. The first one is people who live in glass houses should shut the fuck up, which is part of his uh, screed against the um, religious Mrs. G. Um, and the third one is it's appropriately um, just a song lyric that he quotes in the book. Uh, they might be giants lyric. No one in the world gets what they want. And that is beautiful. That's the third most like quote from his book. <laughs> wow. You know, the glass houses one. I don't know what this why this made me think of this. But, you know, in the uh, 80s, there was a lot of comedians with sweaters on who would play guitars and they would do like a part of their song parody and they they then they would throw in little one-liner that sounds like one of those where they stopped singing like like a sturgeon and then they went uh you know people in glass houses should shut the fuck up touch for the you know it's just such a terrible yes throw a weird, line. weird little applause line yeah uh so that's a that's a fun note but yeah my uh he gets he gets captured and i guess you sort of there's a little bit of drama where you don't know that they're coming to indentured servitude him because he does he, he leaves out some some serious information here and it seems like time has passed but they come to get him um and my my takeaway from this was that all his He's got a lot of rhyming bullshit installed here. He's got his war door installed mm-hmm. uh, inside the walls. He's got a sage cage. Yeah. Um, the, the people coming to get him are the drop cops. And then later on when he goes to prison, the communication they install is called the ear gear. So you've got this little Dr. Seussian. Um, they're all just obviously the first things you think of as a writer. Like, well, I don't know. What, what, is, the, what is the door that protects him? A uh, war door. Sounds good. I'll slug something better in later. Um what is the cage around his thing? Ah, oh, the sage cage sounds good. Um, yep, I'll, I'll put in the real thing later on. Yeah, and and the drop cops thing, I actually had to, you know, I had to go back and read. Like, well, was I supposed to know what this was? Because he did it as a cutesy thing, but then just turned it into one word immediately. Like, cops were dropping from the ceiling. <laughs> oh, huh. suddenly the drop cops were on me. Like, yeah, yeah, wow. it, it is yes. very Susian. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they they. They come to arrest him. He activates his uh, destruct uh, series. And then it's sort of he tries to make it into this thing that just hasn't been earned. Like he's so he says, I curled into a ball on the floor and closed my eyes. I started to shake involuntarily. I tried to prepare myself for what I knew was about to happen. They were going to take me outside. And I just it was like uh, I think we talked about it last time. Like if he's trying to make some sort of point about, you know, removal from modern society and technology replacing things it's like you haven't earned any of this no he didn't get into that he rode the bus he was talking about looking you know he was just on the bus there he didn't he didn't roll into a ball did he when he had to walk yeah no exactly and he's chosen to do all this like he 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 rode the bus there without fear of them identifying him and then he showed up and rented this place and painted the he immediately painted the windows black so he could hump his lubed up sex doll without anyone looking at him (laughs) i guess but yeah it's like you you and he enjoys being in the oasis like it's not you know the pizza guy who shows up has got to be like man that guy's kind of weird like i (laughs) you know i'm making an okay living here like delivering his pizza so you know i I think that that is the if he were good that would be the point he would be trying to make about societal alienation but it's he's he's not so it, it just falls completely flat for me 
Yeah, that didn't, uh, it didn't have any of the tension as they were like breaking into his room. And then uh, I assumed that again, that there would be some sort of a, uh, uh, that he had thought ahead of this thing and that he would drop down a chute and go out a door or whatever. It's like, no, nah, he didn't. There was nothing that he thought of. He just, he had enough time to, uh, he installed the sage cage just so he had <laughs> another minute to put a bomb in his computer. Right. Like, to, to melt his computer, which it just seems like. That that's a big expense, knowing that it's only going to to gain you two or three minutes when you already have a titanium door. Right. I like that he yeah, he says, Goodbye, Max, I whispered, as if it's supposed to be this sort of like, you know, his his virtual assistant Max Headroom is supposed to be a character that we're attached to and like, you know, whispering a fond farewell to. Right. Goodbye, Clippy, I whispered to my Microsoft <laughs> Office digital assistant um looks like you're rolled into a ball do you need any help with that <laughs> yes looks like you're trying to regrow your eyebrows <laughs> uh but yeah so he, they they drag him out the door in a van um they uh they, they he's with some other guys a weird genderless fat guy who who barfs oreos up into his face mask which was in a you know that's a that's a worse mental image than Wade humping his lubed up sex doll I think right which was also another thing that he did sort of back explained it like he was wearing some weird thing and then yes. he vomits and like, oh would you like one too like come on how did you not know about <laughs> this what <laughs> and uh, he's as he's driving away he sort of like talks about how they're gonna pretty much have his apartment fixed up and re rented to a new guy on a waiting list by that evening which is um. Just another amazing thing for this post-apocalyptic society to be able to do. It speaks uh, really well of the economy again. Yes, I mean, I so. man. <laughs> um, and, you know, but also he says that, you know, the number of homeless people, he seems to have increased dramatically in the past six months, which was another detail. It's like, well, that's something interesting must be happening there to cause this major impact in these huddled masses, which is you know, again, gone ignored and uh, flies in direct contrast to those people repairing the apartment within uh, a couple of hours to get it re-inhabited after they cut through the door and blew out the window. Well, you you, you have to think that maybe because he is a, a, a hairless, pale creature who has been stuck in a room, he doesn't know that they're homeless. They could be part of the goods and workers being shipped into the <laughs> yes. city. There's no Maybe they are productive members of the community and things have just changed. I think it's right. rather... Uh, audacious of him to uh to say that he knows that they're homeless right um and so he shows up at the uh at the office he's going to be rendered an indentured servant so he can pay off the debt so i guess he's just not been paying his bill so this will happen because this is all part of his plan um a listener movie geek pointed out he says luckily the genetic privacy act made it illegal for ioi to sample my dna which i which he pointed out is like oh it's it's illegal for them this this uh faceless corporation who's clearly concerned about obeying the law as they've tossed guys out of their 43rd floor <laughs> thing and blown up a trailer killing 700 uh, families and children it's a good thing that it's illegal for them to sample your dna that is a good thing right but, i uh, i noted that uh, when he gets his uh, bracelet and ear gear on he says he shouts a stream of profanity which he doesn't <laughs> say so i had to fill it in again and i assume it was uh crap burger sap fest suck ass is lamer was my guess of what he, <laughs> yes. when he was saying is a stream of profanity <laughs> suck suck a duck um yes but then the my favorite part of this thing um was he says that as he's progressing through this whole like uh, security checkpoint a dude just ahead of me in line actually had a top of the line 
miniature Sinatra Oasis console concealed inside a prosthetic testicle. Yes, that was quite notable. Yes, that was. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I just wondered, you know, I, I didn't know what Sinatra meant. So I went looking for information on this. And uh, I actually stumbled across another uh, scene from the movie out on the uh, dark web. Get out. Like so there's things are being leaked like crazy. Yeah, it might be like a studio sort of buzz campaign or something, but I found an entire other scene from the movie, and it delves into this character's backstory. Like, he only gets one line in the book, but I think Spielberg found something, you know, intriguing about him. So you get a lot more information about him in the movie. Oh, wow. Um, See, yeah. I, I love the way that he, I mean, he doesn't stop at the text. He's like, he's world building, and he's he's making it even more interesting. That's why he's the best, Mike. So cool. So did you, are, I mean, yeah, let's, can um, we, are we, are we legally allowed I to think, share this? I think, you know, delete this within 48 hours, just like a ROM, you download a Nintendo ROM and you'll be fine. But yeah, I'm willing to risk it. I think people need to hear it. Oh, cool. All right. So this is a leaked scene from the scene about Ready player one movie. Yeah. The testicle implant uh, yes. of the okay, backstory. Cool. Yeah. All right. Let, let's uh, roll this up here. Honey, I'm home. Oh, thank goodness. Timmy's fever is up to 105. You were gone a long time. Was there a line at the pharmacy? What's that? Uh, uh, the pharmacy? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I never made it there. But Timmy needs his medicine. Yeah, I know Timmy's sick, but you are not going to believe the deal I got. Huh? <laughs> eh? Huh? Eh? What are you doing? Take that off the table. Check it out. Top of the line, miniature Sinatra Oasis console. You got an Oasis console implanted in your scrotum? I, I gotta call the guys. I mean, they're gonna be so impressed. Well, you're not calling anyone, and the guys aren't going to want to see that. Aww. You were supposed to get Timmy his medicine. Who sold you this thing? That, I don't know, some guy in an alley. Some guy in an alley? I didn't catch his name. You let a guy give you a testicle implant in an alley? D did I say that? Of course I didn't. We went to a gas station bathroom. How much did it cost? Yeah, you know, it was crazy. He asked how much money I had on me to pay for the medicine, and it was on sale for exactly that much. Said it fell off the back of one of those electric vehicles that carry goods and workers. <laughs> Must have been my lucky day. So, did he replace one or just add an extra? You know, I was so excited, I didn't even ask. Let me just, uh, hmm, let me see, yeah. Oh, yep, looks like I got the three musketeers down there. Oh, why did you need this? Honey. Honey, please, how many times has this happened to you? You're on the go, and suddenly you need to do some light gunting. Never. You go to pull out your handheld Oasis console when all of a sudden the bus swerves and your console goes flying out the window and gets snatched up by some leather-clad booster gang. Timmy's going to die. You realize that. But with my new implant, you can activate it with just two discreet taps to the crotch area. Hmm. You know what? It may need to charge. I'm leaving you. Now, honey, this shouldn't take more than six or eight hours. Let me just hook up to the charging unit. Ow! Oh! Oh! Hang on. I just gotta adjust the boys. I'm taking Timmy to my sister's. Don't call us. Son of a... Ow! Yeah. Had it backwards. Oh, God! That one wasn't a console. Ow! Ow! Wait. Ah, there we go. <laughs> I am going to gunt so hard. Oh, wait. Hang on. Honey! 
You remember my Oasis password? Wow. Wow, yeah. wow. that yeah. is oh. drama. It's... Yeah, I mean, tonally, it's it's different than I would have imagined, <laughs> but... That you is, know, comic relief. Stuff. Like, yeah, you know, no, a book that sorely is... needs it, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. I, I look forward to to seeing that. I wonder if he's sort of like a major character, if that's just like a post credit scene, or either way. Um, I mean, it's got me excited. Yeah, I don't know. The the uh, the guy sounded great. I mean, I hope I hope his <laughs> yeah. part is expanded, and I hope he, uh, yeah. I, I hope he gets Not... paid a lot of money. Oscar yeah. nomination? You never yeah. know. But, uh, yeah, maybe yeah. so. <laughs> it's your train to Spielberg, and it could happen. Um. So yeah, so he's so he, at the end of the book, he's uh, he's he's in his cell, which he's uh, uh, Lauren pointed out is measured in the metric system. Which I went back and looked; they've been using the metric system the whole book. Yeah, I noted um, that so, too. So again, another uh, seismic change to uh, the country that goes yeah. unmentioned, I guess. So they either they either implemented it post-apocalypse, or perhaps that's what brought the whole thing on. You never know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so that's where we left him. Right, he's just in there, and now he's wondering. Uh, he's, what is he going to do? Yeah, he's in there and he's, you know, whatever, you know, we're, we're led to believe he has a plan and he's informed the other gunters of the plan. But uh, what that plan is going to be, you know, I guess he's taken it down from the inside. That's what he's he's got to do. And he's got a uh, testicle implant guy to help him. Maybe I hope he plays a big role. Uh, God, I hope so. God, I love that guy. <laughs> um, well, yeah, let's, uh, unless you get anything else, we can uh, we can move on to our, our next feature. I think we should get in to let's the, do it. The dumb, dumb sentence, sentence of the of week. The week. A sentence begins with a capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital letter is big, big, big. A sentence ends with a period, or an exclamation, or a question mark. A sentence always ends with a period, or an exclamation, or a question mark. Okay, it is time for the dumb sentence of the week. And, uh, man, we've never had a shortage of these. Has anything changed this week? No, we have not uh, had a shortage this week. This is people's favorite thing to send in, and we've got a lot, so I'm sorry we can't get to them all. But uh, here are some of the highlights. Uh, Elizabeth F. sent in, Then they ran me through a kind of human car wash, a series of machines that soaped, scrubbed, disinfected, rinsed, dried, and deloused me. And Elizabeth (laughs) pointed out that this uh, human car wash also could be identified by the much more common term, a shower. (laughs) Right. Um, I noted that one, too. (laughs) Um, and then this one uh, was sent in by Isaac S. and Martina F. Uh, it's describing the drop cop showing up. They were here to cut open my apartment and pull me out of it, like a chunk of spam being removed from a can. Also on my list. Very nice. <laughs> so they have uh, – that goes along with the hammered Play-Doh or the Aquafresh of just like weird mental images of like, okay, I guess – that's how you get spam out of a can, but is anyone really is that the best way you can describe that? Like uh, whatever, <laughs> yeah. a claw toy, like from a from a <laughs> arcade game, might be better. Uh, more yeah, I point. mean, getting spam out of a can is very specific. It's a chunk that is like adhered to all the walls with a jelly-like substance, and it yeah, gets it's sort one of piece out. It's one piece, yeah. right? It's very, yeah. very bad. And then, uh, so Matt M uh, sent in this one. Uh, a couple people mentioned this one too, actually, but it was very, this was popular. As the welder stepped back, another drop cop stepped forward and used a small canister to spray some sort of freezing foam around the edge of the hole, cooling off the metal so they wouldn't burn themselves when they crawled inside, which was what they were about to do. <laughs> so that's, that's the, that's him describing 
for four pages that the cops have shown up. He's protecting himself because he knows they're about to get him, but he felt the need to tack on that last. That's what they were about to do. I've sometimes wondered when I read sentences like that, is that the, uh, the office's fictional Michael Scott writing each one, like, you know, <laughs> where the premise is already clear and everything, but he still had, feels right. he has to add something that sounds like it's from something. Michael Scott reads that and then looks at the camera, you know, knowingly for the, uh, for right. to emphasize the drama. Um, well, I've got mine. If you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Uh, I admit it was tough because all of those were good and I felt like they were a little more obvious. I want to do uh drill down on this. This is, uh, that's my business speak. Connor, you know that we're in business. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's circle back on this. This is, uh, this is mine. It was from the black tiger description. Um, uh, three sentences, technically. Uh, Black Tiger had first been released in Japan under its original title, Buraku Doragon, Black Dragon. The game had been renamed for its American release. Yeah, see, I because you were talking, <laughs> it's just it's just this thing of over explaining it. Like, I yeah, that's what we've been talking about forever. Yeah, it's that Wikipedia writing voice where you're just, you know, you've got a guy who thinks he's describing something important and he's using sort of dry academic language to describe it. Um, yeah, you just said Black Tiger under its original title. This <laughs> is this. And then you describe what it is. We understood that Baraku Doragon was Black Dragon, but it had been re renamed for its American release. <laughs> Thank you, Ernest. Yeah. Uh, well, here's mine. Uh, it's very similar with a, uh, it's two sentences. Um, it's when he's going through the uh, indentured servitude processing. Uh, he says, even though I was using a fake name, I wondered if the contract might still be legally binding. I wasn't sure, and I didn't really care. <laughs> so, again, way to build that drama. That's... That could be the kind of thing that maybe, you know, in, a, in another work would give him the out when they discovered it or something. But he he brings it up and then says he doesn't care. So, <laughs> Oh, that is so utterly Kleinian. Yeah, really. A phrase that will be added to my uh, – I'm, I'm happy to have it in my vocabulary because uh, you don't see – there's something is unique about the way that he – he uh, clutches these things. It is it is Kleinian in a way that I haven't seen in other work. Right. <laughs> I wonder who uh, you know won the Cleveland Browns game last weekend. Oh, I don't know. Actually, I don't really care. <laughs> Sorry for bringing that up as my conversation starter. I don't actually care. Right. All right. Well, you have any uh, things to to pick up on? Any odds or ends? Odds and sods. Yeah. Yeah, let's get them. It's, uh, so didn't mention it last week, and I mentioned it this week. There's only one Star Wars uh, reference this week. Uh, the beta capsule that Shoto gives him reminds him of the lightsabers I owned, but lightsabers were a dime a dozen. I had over 50 in my collection. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, yes, I know. <laughs> I noted that, one, too. One Star Wars counted, and uh, classic. The word classic came up four times. Uh, Cowboy Bebop is classic. Rush's 2112 is classic. Uh, another classic Rush song. Uh, and then any classic video game. So we still got a lot more because there's 36 total, but uh, only four this time around. But it's it, it stands out every time you you notice it now if you're if you're looking for classic. Yeah, which br brings me to this, this tax right onto that. One of my things, Explorers, the movie which he talks about, which I think uh, is that a Joe Dante movie? He says, well, he says yes, directed by in 1986 by Joe Dante. In the yeah, like, <laughs> is easily one of the greatest kid flicks ever made. And so here's what I noted. It's from the 80s, and yet it does not get the Appalachian classic 80s. 
Uh, I mean, isn't he? Is that like damning with faint praise? It's easily one of the greatest kid flicks ever made. It was made in the eighties, but it's not classic eighties. What? Yeah, that's so. It, it by its lack, I just have to think. Hmm. He must have a real. He must have some problems with it. He's got a couple notebooks yeah, filled with notes about like if you had done this. Yeah, he wants to corner Joe Dante at Comic Con and be uh, grill him about <laughs> like the the logic of one escape scene or something. Right. Yeah, that's that's rough. I wouldn't want to be Joe Dante today. Um, <laughs> that's right. All <laughs> uh, right. What else you got? I got. Um, oh, we we glossed over it. Actually, it showed up in uh, in that extra scene. I'm glad Spielberg picked up on it too. Huh. Uh, Leather-clad booster gangs. Oh yes, that was <laughs> that was who might steal his uh, his ship while it was parked on the Blade Runner planet. I was picturing because I'm from that era. I was picturing uh, like Pinky Tuscadero and uh, <laughs> and Susie Quattro riding their little pink motorcycles over to state. Like who is? So there A are still gang. leather-clad booster gangs. Is booster? I feel like. If you were, uh, we, we were watching like a short from the fifties and they picked up some poor kid, you know, who was some <laughs> like, come on, give me the facts, man. You're one of them booster gangs, aren't you? Yeah, lay off copper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's gang. a, there's a DC comics, uh, guy called booster gold who I, I don't know anything about him, but I, I assume he's one of the lamest characters in that universe just because his name is booster gold. So <laughs> does it really inspire fear that they're going to take your ship, even though you can't shrink it because it's a magic chaos zone or it isn't a mat. Who cares? <laughs> Whatever. Right. They can't use magic. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, I've got the assignment. If you're ready, I have one last thing. Ooh. And this is, I, I just want, I don't know if anybody noticed this. Um, I thought that the writing and I'm, I'm going to introduce a conspiracy theory here now. <laughs> I wish I had a theme song playing for this. Oh, do, 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 do. Thank you. Yes. Finally, the truth is out there. I think that when he got to the part about, um, the, uh, being an indentured servant to the company, I think for the first time he did a little research outside of his own comfort zone. Huh? And so, after 98% of the book being the words classic, video games, movies, computer games, Dungeons and Dragons, and gunting, suddenly <laughs> someone's shrieking at him that he they know that he's impecunious. <laughs> and it just, it just stuck out to me a little bit. Like, I think he looked it up and he found like two legal terms, indentured wow. and impecunious. Is that you know what, what I mean? Uh, it's not the suit with the virtual clipboard set at him because I, that word right. stood out to me, but I was not reading on Kindle, so I didn't look it up at the moment. But I'd never seen that word before. Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, it's it, obviously a speech that he took from something, or it just to me did not have the Kleinian ring about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, look, we know you're in there eating corn chips and uh, <laughs> talking, but no, this was kind of legalese language with the word impecunious in it. So I, I'd like to just introduce that little. I I think there are sections that someone maybe helped him shape sure, or something yeah, like the, that. The characters is, that aren't obviously, you know, ver alternate versions of him are going to have to <laughs> right, are always under have to a consult little the thesaurus for them. Heightened scrutiny on those writing uh, assignments for him. But that's all I got. Nice. All right. Well, uh, so we've only got like 90 pages of this book left. So the next assignment is uh, read through chapter 26. That's page 326. Uh, again, through chapter 26, page 326. And that'll be the... Uh, Second to last thing, we'll, we'll we'll do that one, then we'll then we'll get to the end. I'm, I can't wait. I'm curious what's going to happen. Wonder what his plan is. Yeah, um, I can't imagine. 
yeah, exactly. I mean, there's not. He's, <laughs> I really, you know, I just every I've talked to Lauren and my mom have now finished this book and just they have, they have sort of just given a resigned sigh when I'm like, so anything like it was twist anything and they're just sort of like it just. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's kind of like um, I've always said about the Twilight Zone, which I like a lot of them, but um, if those were book length. You know, you would you would go like, yeah. It turns out that yeah, he you know he bought the mask from a shop, right. and, it, and it's like, yeah, you know, it doesn't it doesn't turn the world upside down. But it was twenty two and a half minutes. You know, right, who, exactly. who gives yeah. a crap? You cool know, to see a celebrity on TV in a major role, like <laughs> right. Uh. But this is this is going to be uh, a lot of our time spent waiting for a twist that has obviously made people who have already read it go. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's what you got to look forward yes. to if you yeah. haven't read ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, thank yeah. you so much. Thank we you. we always love that you follow along with us. It is a yeah. Big, it's so much fun. Yeah, it's a big commitment. And uh, hey, we wouldn't do anything you wouldn't do. Wait, how does that work? You wouldn't do anything we wouldn't. Do. I don't know. The well, point... I wouldn't be impecunious if you were pecunious. It's something like that. I think is the yeah. I think reason. you know what. I think you're pulling a Pendergast on me, and let's just end it right here. That is the end of this relationship. Anyway, thank you, folks, and we will see you next time thank on you. 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back. Ooh, see you next time.